0: Hi, my name is Scott Kimball, and I want to talk about what Jesus has done for me in the last six years. I uh, went for a routine physical with my family doctor in the spring of of, uh, 2015. I've been retired for two years, having a great time, playing lots of golf. So I go in for this, and he discovered some early signs of kidney failure. He immediately referred me to a nephrologist, a specialist who monitored me for the next year and a few months. At which time, the kidney function continued to, to, to decline. Uh, in the fall of 2016, I had 6% function of my kidneys, and uh, the doctor told me, "You need to go on dialysis, but you tell me when you're ready. You're going to feel bad. I'm you know, not going to force you to do it unless there's something dangerous in your blood levels." but you tell me when you're ready. I said, I'm ready. I couldn't even walk to the mailbox and back at home without having to stop and rest. I was feeling that, that bad. So we did that, uh, We got, my, got me ready for the dialysis. December 1st, 2016 was my first treatment. And when that nephrologist confirmed with blood tests that it really was a kidney disease, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I needed to ask a lot of questions, but I didn't know what to ask. And I felt uh, like, well, this could be the beginning of the end if I don't do something. So I'm going to have to make a decision, dialysis or no dialysis. If I had not done dialysis six weeks later, I would probably be gone. So that was the decision that was made. It was was a blow. I'll put it that way. Uh, Once I got started on dialysis, I immediately made the decision to try to get on a transplant waiting list. Uh, That happened pretty quickly. I passed all the the tests and I was put on the wait list in February of 2017. Because of that, that gave me hope. Otherwise, it's it's a life of going to dialysis and that's it. Can't leave town. Every other day I had to be there for four hours of visit. But I had hope now and I knew where that hope was coming from. God was there with me the entire time. He was on the journey with me. He was allowing things to develop. To, I don't teach me something or or what, but but nevertheless, I had hope that it was going to work out okay. It was just going to take time, and the uncertainty of the time was a little bit bothersome because I had been told it might be a year, it might be two, it might be three to five years. Nobody really knows, so I uh, I adjusted to that and I continued on with my treatments, just waiting. And then a couple other shoes dropped along the way. The surgeon required me to have some things done to make sure I remained healthy for the surgery. First thing, I had to have a prostate uh, surgery done. That was done. Three days later, I found myself in the hospital with a pretty severe case of sepsis because of an infection I developed from that surgery. I was in the hospital eight days. During that time, uh, I met a cardiologist who came in, and he said sometimes sepsis patients develop... um, Infections on a heart valve and I want to check you sure enough I had an infection on a heart valve now I have two choices either leave it alone which would have disqualified me from the wait list or do some antibiotics if the antibiotics didn't work surgery we chose the antibiotics of course and uh, I had six weeks of that it cleared it up I was fine the infection was gone and I thought yes God has a plan for me because he's allowing me to avoid these bullets that are coming my way. So at at no time did I ever think I wasn't going to survive this, because I knew he was right there with me all along. Uh, I was on dialysis from December 2016. In May of 2020, I got a phone call from the transplant clinic saying we have a kidney that's a match. It's in Houston, we're going to fly it up here, test it, It'll be here by 10 p.m. tonight. I'll call you and let you know what to do. Finally, at midnight, I got a call, and she said, the kidney did not test well. It's a bad kidney. You can't have it, so stand down. And that was a blow at the time because I had gathered all the family together by then. My sons were going to take me to the hospital. Granddaughter was staying with Donna, and we were all set to go, but uh, that, that crashed really quickly. But at the same time, it gave me more hope And I know where that hope came from. Again, God's telling me, you're at the top of the list. The next kidney that's a match is going to be yours. So uh, August came. August 13th was a Thursday. I finished my treatment. I went home. The phone rang, and it's a transplant clinic again. We have a kidney for you. This time, we went ahead and flew it up from Houston. We've tested it. It's a good kidney. It's yours. Come on down. So I did, and once again, my sons were there. They took me in and dropped me off. Because remember, at the time, we we're in the middle of the pandemic and the hospital wasn't letting any visitors in. So I'm going it on my own. So I went in, surgeon met me. He said, sorry, but I've got one guy in front of you, so you gotta wait. He did uh, back-to-back surgeries that night. 3 a.m. the next morning, they finally wheeled me in. And that's the last thing I can remember until I woke up. The donor of the kidney, I'm not allowed to know uh, all I know about him is he was a 58-year-old man in Houston who had uh, just died of a heart attack. Fortunately, he was an organ donor. So, uh, two of us got kidneys that same day. And that's all we know about him. Now, I wrote a letter to the family. I'm certain that it was delivered thanking them for the donation. Um, if they choose to respond, they can. If they don't, I'll never know anything else about the gentleman. Uh, it. It was a little bit of a, a bittersweet time because I know, or I knew at the time, that my life had been spared, but somebody had to die to give me my life. And I know God's got his hand in that as well. Now, I don't know the gentleman or his circumstances, but uh, he was allowed to give me his kidney. And I think about that man every day. One of the biggest thing I learned in all of this is God is there. He allows things to happen for a reason. That we may never know but we have to trust that his reason is perfect his timing is perfect there was a reason I didn't get that first kidney I'll never know what it is uh, the reason I got the second one is because God wanted me to have it at that time so uh, the way I look at it is this gentleman in Houston died so I could live Jesus died so we could live and there's just no other way to look at it during the past six years it's been a real eye-opener for me because things happened to me along the way waiting for that transplant I mentioned the sepsis, I mentioned the the prostate surgery, I mentioned, well I didn't mention but there was another issue with the thyroid they thought it was cancerous, turned out to be benign and uh, I do remember the day that I got that diagnosis that it was benign I was on my way to the golf course actually I had to pull off the road because I got to, pretty emotional about that and uh, I'm thinking well God you have a plan for me and you're with me every step of the way on this journey and uh, that gave me peace I never ever thought that I wasn't going to survive this even though any of these events that happened to me along the way could have been fatal and uh, had it not been for him taking this journey with me I would not be sitting across from you talking to you right now again my name is Scott Kimball This has been a six-year journey for me from the time I started dialysis until now. It was a long journey. A lot of things happened along the way for me, a lot of ups and downs and uncertainty about whether I would ever get to that finish line. But it, it happened, and there's only one reason it did, because God wanted it to.
1: Praise God! You know that's what we get to do today. We get to celebrate what Jesus has done and what it means to encounter the Lord. And um, you know, what a what a powerful story! Um, and we get to thank God for Scott's life, and, and, and Scott gets to share with people what Jesus has done. And uh, I do know that uh, a, a lot of times with uh, family members and loved ones. Um, uh, the journey ends differently, and we get to praise God for His mercy in that regards. But it's always awesome when we get to um, see someone continue uh, to their journey here on this earth, and get to, to tell about what Jesus has done for them. And so that's uh, what we're doing uh, over these next couple of weeks. We're, we're sharing stories. We're sharing stories uh, from the scriptures. We're sharing stories from our own life. That's what it means to testify. Uh, I love what it says in the book of Acts with um, the Apostle Peter, who was arrested and told not to talk about Jesus anymore. And he said, hey, um, whether it's right for me um, to do what you say or what God says, he says, but as for me, I cannot speak of what I've seen and what I've heard. And so I hope that is uh, the mark of all of our lives. I know so often uh, we can disqualify ourselves that we uh, don't know enough to talk about God or I don't uh, know enough things in the Bible to share the good news of Jesus. Uh, you don't have to. You can testify to what God has done. That's what it means to be a witness. We just say what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've seen Jesus do. And so I'm excited to share with you this morning and to just think and to talk about and wrestle with what it means to encounter Jesus. And so I love hearing stories like that because you know that no matter what, nothing can take that away from Scott because you know how God has sustained him through that journey and through that process. And I know for myself that there are uh, moments and times uh, that are cemented deep in my heart because of what Jesus has done for me and how the Lord has ministered to me that can't be touched. And so even today, you have the opportunity to encounter Jesus because he is not dead, he is alive. We don't serve a God in the past. We serve a God that is living and active this morning. And so uh, I love that we get to do that. And I think stories are, are powerful in that way because uh, I, I think one of the things that story does and when somebody just shares personally about what has gone on in their life and their encounters with a living God, uh, we get to hear that. And I, I think for everybody, I know what I experience is that gives me hope that if they've encountered God, I could encounter God. And so that's one of the things I love about stories is that way that it can just, um, um, just it, it inspire and reach us in a different level uh, than just um, hearing facts or hearing um, a, a presentation. And so I love that aspect of story. So we're gonna keep looking at people's encounters with Jesus in the Bible. So if you have a copy of God's word, I would, I would invite you to turn to Mark chapter five. And so uh, we, we get this interesting picture in Mark chapter 5 as uh, Jesus is um, in his ministry and, and, and doing his things that we get to look back on and marvel at. And so we get these kind of two overlapping stories, and so they do overlap together. We're going we're gonna to focus in on one, uh, but just know um, um, we would do both, but I don't have three hours. Um, I love what the, the Gospel of John, if you've ever looked at the very last verse of the Gospel of John, I love how John puts it. Because, um, you know, he wrote his account of Jesus, and at the very end, the very last verse in the Gospel of John, he's like, These are just a few things. If we had written down all of the things that Jesus has done, I'm sure that the world couldn't hold the books. And that's what it feels like sometimes. So we're going to uh, look at both of these overlapping stories, but we're going to focus in on. One. And so uh, we're, we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 21. This is what it says. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, So that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment.
0: And he looked around to see
1: who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease, we're gonna stop there. And so, like I said, there's these two overlapping stories, and we're gonna we're gonna focus in on this woman. So uh, just n- know, even though we don't have time to like dig in and think about it, uh, Jesus that even heals the little girl, brings her back from death, and so we we get this uh, situation that is occurring that Jesus is um, on, on his way performing his ministry, and we have one dad who's just desperate for his daughter, who comes up boldly to Jesus and and asks, just full on, like, please come and heal my daughter, and at the same time, we have this other woman who, uh, maybe not quite as bold and overt, um, instead of approaching Jesus from the front, kind of sneaks up behind him and has this mindset for herself that, hey, if I can just get close enough to Jesus, I know that something is going to happen for me, and so you have these two stories weaving together, but like I said, I want to focus in on this woman this morning, and so uh, you get this uh, account in a couple of the different gospels uh, of this interaction. In this healing moment with Jesus, but I, I chose the Gospel of Mark because it provides a few more details about this lady than we get in some of the other gospels. And so I really want you to just uh look right at um at verse 26. I think it really frames it really well, the kind of situation we're dealing with this morning. Um it says this lady, she has had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and then it says this: she had suffered much. You know, I I think that's an interesting line in in the Bible and really uh, should tell us a lot about the journey this woman has been on. Because I know sometimes, uh, you know, when when you read the Apostle Paul Paul, and like his letter to the Corinthians, he was like, you know, just this light and momentary affliction and then eternities altogether. And Paul's saying that, he's like, just this light momentary affliction. And then he talks about that sometimes. He's like, you know, I was only whipped a couple of times um, I was only stoned until they thought I was dead twice. I was only shipwrecked a few times, but this light and momentary affliction you shouldn't worry about. But when it talks about this lady here, it says she had suffered much. And I think that's the weight of this story and what's going on here with this uh, particular woman. So it, it describes some of it. You know, she's had this uh, this bleeding disorder for 12 years, uh, which seems... Um, I'm, you know, it was only 12 years, it probably felt like an eternity. And not only that, you know, it says that she has done essentially everything she could do at that time and exhausted all of her resources, going to physicians, spending what money she had. She, she did all the things she knew to do to try to rectify this situation, and it says it got no better. In fact, it got worse. And so I don't even know what that journey had been like for her, because um, personally, like... I don't like going to the doctor. You know, so if I can avoid that scenario as long as possible, same with dentists. Um, you know, I am very grateful uh, for the, the grace of God extended to us through medicine. But if I have the option of avoiding the doctor, I'm going to do it. So I have no idea what it would have been like to subject yourself uh, to the, the physician's treatment in the first century. And, so, you know, I'm so grateful that um, men and women that are smarter than me have made discoveries and figured out just the physiology of our bodies. But, you know, you read some stories about how things went back in the day, and I'm sure um, um, uh, that was not a pleasant experience would be my guess. And so another thing that's going on with this lady, and in this context, you know, being uh, a, a Jewish woman um, in this uh, society, you know, everything was centered around their religious life. You know, they were Jews. And so uh, the family life, um, the different holidays, all of them centered around their religion, their faith in God. And one of the things, uh, a picture we get from the Old Testament is that more than likely, uh, she, because of the ceremonial law in Leviticus, she, in having this discharge of blood, she would have been considered unclean. And so she probably would not have been able to participate in the temple life. So, I mean, we're talking family meals, we're talking holidays, not only that, because she was ceremonially considered unclean, if somebody else had contact with her, they would have been ceremonially unclean, and so it would have had an effect on her whole family, that if um, she was not um, um, at at a safe distance from them, they also would have been um, unable to participate in the temple life, to going in on the Sabbath, to uh, entering into the synagogue, to participating in the feast, and... uh, the different activities they had as a part of their culture and their religion, this woman has suffered much. So not only um, an illness, not only uh, lost all her money trying to fix her illness, but, I mean, just if we can imagine, like, hey, uh, 12 years of no Christmas with your family. And, you know, we can infer some things, so we don't have all the details. These are the details we have in Scripture. uh, But honestly, I, I, I would guess... Um, just because of the effect it would have had on her family to also um, be ceremonially unclean. I'm guessing the level of physical touch and affection she received during that time was probably also minimal. You know, this is a woman that not only, um, I would say physically, but probably emotionally and spiritually suffered much. So that's the context of this story, this encounter we have with Jesus today. And it's always interesting as you dig into the Gospels in more of a a narrative type of passage. Um, You know, if you read the epistles, you know, it's just kind of clear instruction, like do this, don't do that, and that's a lot easier to preach at times. Um, But right now we just have this story of how this woman has encountered Jesus. And so how, how I'd like to spend our time today and how I'd like to unpack this is just sharing with you some observations I have of this story. And hopefully, you know, I'm just going to pray that whatever you've walked in here with today, and whatever's having an impact on your life right now, that, um, that Jesus, who is alive and at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding on your behalf, is going to just meet you in whatever way you need. Not because I've prepared and I've gathered secret information about all of you to slowly, subtly slip in things that sound like your life, no, but because there's a God who loves you and he knew you were going to be here this morning and he knows exactly what you need to hear. So I'm just going to share some observations I have from this story. And the first thing that just really jumps out at me uh, in this, um, this event is really the kindness of Jesus. So if you read through the Gospels, and we've been sharing these stories these past couple weeks, um, I, I think para And Jesus doesn't have much time for that and usually shuts that down really hard. But anytime somebody comes to Jesus with a genuine request, genuine inquiry, they are always met with kindness. So the the two stories we've done the previous two Sundays on Easter Sunday, we talked about Nicodemus. So he was in that group. He was a Pharisee. So we know, uh, just because if you've been in church long enough, you know they're kind of the bad guys in most of the Gospels. Uh, So even though he was in that crowd, he came to Jesus with a genuine question. He honestly wanted to know what Jesus had to say. And Jesus meets him with kindness. He answers his questions. He explains more. He understands that Nicodemus is really trying to wrestle with and answer some of these questions he has in his heart. So even though he might be in that circle that wasn't as friendly towards Jesus, his genuineness is met with kindness. And then last week we talked about the Roman centurion. So not even a Jew, not even a part of their belief system and a part of an occupying force of Israel. So an outsider who has come and helped subject the nation of Israel. And so he comes with genuine faith and says, hey, I have a servant who I care about who's dying. And I know you have authority. If you would do something, please heal him. And Jesus meets that with kindness as well. So I'm just struck by the kindness of Jesus. And one of the things you see as you read so many of these miracle accounts of Jesus, um, a lot of times Jesus just never has a dull moment. So even right here, you know, we didn't read the previous chapter, but Jesus has just been on one side of the sea and uh, cast out some demons, and it freaked everybody out. So they're like, hey, we don't even want you here. So he hops back in a boat, goes to the other side of the sea. He's in transition. He gets there on the shores of the bank, and uh, this other religious leader is like, hey, my daughter is dying. Please come save her. And she's like, okay, I will come with you. And so Jesus is traveling again. A lot of people are bothering him. And then this one woman walks up behind him and touches his clothes. And Jesus stops what he's doing and turns and addresses her individually. You know, I like to think of myself as a compassionate person, but I know my compassion has a limit. And so I'll I'll describe one of them to you. The past couple years, I've kind of felt convicted um, about anytime I see somebody asking for money— And so um, I I would say a a large portion of my life just kind of felt like, hey, you know, they probably did something to get themselves in that situation. If I give them money, they're probably going to misuse it. Um, And so I kind of justify not being very gracious or generous. But I felt kind of convicted about that a couple years ago. And so most of the time now, you know, if I'm driving, I pull up to an intersection, there's somebody asking for money. If I have cash on me, I give it. But, you know, that is probably limited for me if um, the light times perfectly and I'm stopped there and they have enough time to approach my car. uh, It's probably limited for me if they're on my side of the road and not on the other side of the road. um, You know, there are all these limitations on my compassion because I'm busy, I have something I need to do, somewhere I need to be, something going on in my life. But you see, so often, even when he was in the middle of something, when somebody cried out to Jesus... He stops and extends his kindness in such a profound way to recognize them individually. And he does it all over the Gospels in so many different ways, in so many different scenarios, both with people who had physical ailments, th- with those who were maybe on the outside of um, acceptable society. You know, it says that Jesus was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And I wonder if somebody could accuse us as much as they could accuse Jesus of being a friend to those on the outside. So I'm just struck by the kindness of Jesus. You know, I love how Charlie unpacked uh, Jesus's compassion last week in that story where he said, uh, compassion is our pain in God's heart. And so here in this situation, even though a crowd is all around him, pressing him, wanting something from him, uh, Jesus stops and recognizes this woman who had suffered much. You know, a lot of times people come to religious settings or if you study other world religions, the, uh, the, the narrative that is typically promoted to you is that uh, God is angry, so you better clean yourself up or else you might get um, um, a, a taste of his wrath. And that is the message of a lot of other religions. But uh, thank God um, that the message of Jesus Christ is his love and grace and forgiveness extended to us that can transform us and bring us close into relationship. I'm struck by the kindness of Jesus. The other thing I'm just really struck by in the story is the faith of this woman. Like, as I've been reading it this week, I just kind of felt like, man, I I wish I had her faith— Um, There's another story in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9 that I relate to a lot better. And so in in Mark chapter 9, another dad comes up uh, to Jesus and says, hey, um, my son has this evil spirit in him, and uh, oftentimes it tries to destroy him. If there is something you could do, I would really appreciate it. And Jesus says, if, you know, anything is possible for those who believe. And then the dad says, I believe, help my unbelief. And that story I relate to a a lot stronger because I feel like I'm in that place a lot. Like I do have this belief in God. I have this belief in Jesus, but sometimes it's just limited in its regard. And so I feel like I say that prayer in my head a lot. Like, God, I do believe, but there are these large portions of my heart that still struggle with doubt. So I believe, but help my unbelief. But in this story here, it says, you know, this lady just um, hears about what Jesus is capable of. And in her head, what clicks is, if I can just get close enough to touch his clothes, Knows, then I know something is going to take an effect in my life. And I just wish I had her faith. You know, 12 years of suffering this physical ailment, this uh, emotional ostrac- ostracization, and, and yet she has not resigned herself to her fate. You know, I think that's one of the things that transpires in our life, that if we have um, some adverse circumstances, whatever they might be, maybe a diagnosis or maybe just a difficult relationship, we kind of resign ourselves to the fact that, hey, this is just the way life goes. I have a messed up marriage. That's just the way life is. You know, I hate my job. That's just the way life is. You know, I don't talk to my parents. That's just the way life is. Hey, I have this anger problem that I lash out anytime somebody provokes me. That's just the way I am. And so I'm struck by her faith that she is not even contented with her circumstances. Even though it's been 12 years of suffering, she still wants more. And I love that because I believe that is an aspect of faith. I love how C.S. Lewis broke it down for people in regards to our desire in our relationship to God, that sometimes we feel like it might be wrong to have this desire. And how he broke it down is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. More than likely when it comes to having a great life, when we um, uh, relate to God, it's not that our desires are too strong, but they're far too weak. We are satisfied with more trivial things than what Jesus has promised to us. Because Jesus said he has come that we might have life and life abundantly. And so I, I would uh, disagree with maybe a worldly standard of what that means, but I would look at the Bible and see that when people encounter Jesus, their entire life change and um, things that they thought could never be repaired get repaired, and people that thought they would never have peace receive peace. And so I'm in just struck by this woman that although um, 12 years of her life got eaten up by this disease she was not satisfied and she still wanted more and she still believed that God had something better for her, so much so that she was willing to put herself out there and extend um, um, her faith to an effect that it could have cost her even more in this situation. And so I love, uh, and I I just would call us to remember that if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we should remember what Ephesians 3.20 says, that he can do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so if you find yourself today thinking that there is a situation or a scenario or a relationship in your life that is beyond repair, remember the God we serve that he can do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so um, I I know I'm just inspired by this woman and want to grow in my faith. And so this situation, you know, I'm just inferring some of the things that might have taken place in order for her to get that close to Jesus because it said he was traveling and this crowd was uh, um, all about him. And so I'm guessing that more than likely on some level she kind of had to fight her way through people. And that would be a huge risk because one of the Things like we mentioned that would have occurred. That as she is touching people, if they are aware of her, her uh, ailment, they would have uh, realized that they become ceremonially unclean. And so, I, I would guess it could have an adverse effect on the crowd if they're realizing this woman who has this uncleanliness is fighting her way through them. And so, she had to truly believe that something was going to take place in her life to take that risk. Because I also know for us, oftentimes we do not make our way to the feet of Jesus because there's. Other there people that hold us back from it? Either uh, opinions or words that have been said or relational capital that might need to be expended if we were going to actually step out in faith. And so I would just encourage you, like this woman, to not let anything hold you back from coming to Jesus. You know Hebrews eleven um, is kind of the chapter on what it means to have faith in the Bible. It starts with a good definition, um, and then it's the roll call of faith of all these different people that have uh, come from the Old Testament and how um, uh, God honored their faith and what their faith accomplished. And then I love that um, Hebrews twelve uh, verse one and two says, you know, um, you know, looking at their faith, it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so what, how does our faith work itself out? It says. Let us throw off every weight. And every sin that so easily entangles, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we see her faith made manifest, and one of the things it speaks to me is so easily I let other things be a weight in my life or an entanglement or something that might be a speed bump or a roadblock that would uh, slow me down from coming to Jesus and receiving what Jesus has for me. And so I hope we can take inspiration from this woman that um, her illness didn't stop her, um, the social implications didn't stop her, the little literal physical boundaries of people being closer to Jesus than she was did not stop her from coming to Jesus and by stepping out in faith and seeing how Jesus could meet her need. My other observation is, is really a question: Is what does it mean to find true healing? Because anytime we talk about faith, we need to make sure we ask ourselves the question: Like faith in what? Because I, I know, you know, when, when we've grown up, or if you've been around the Christian setting, you, you know we're supposed to ask God for things. You know, that's a, a, a beautiful, beautiful part of our faith, and you know, I think the Scripture's commandment. But, but I think one of the things that can occur that might limit us actually receiving true healing for the different things in our own life, and I'm not just talking about physical, but I'm talking about emotional and spiritual, is, is oftentimes we, we just seek the, the gift and not necessarily the giver. And so one of the things I think that is happening here is that this woman has a genuine faith in who Jesus is, not just in what he can do for her, was, when I was in college, I got the opportunity uh, to take a semester off and uh, do a semester-long mission trip in the Philippines, uh, really formative time in my life. And uh, So while I was in the Philippines, um, in the capital city, Manila, uh, there was a very large Catholic, Catholic cathedral, um, and so when I first got there, we were doing our orientation, and they were telling us about culture, and we were learning to make our way around, and we got to go to this Catholic cathedral. And at some point in the past, uh, the cathedral had actually caught on fire and burned down. And there's this very large statue of Jesus that was in the cathedral. And most of the cathedral was destroyed at that point, but the, the statue of Jesus didn't burn up. So now it's become this religious icon that uh, people there view, uh, view that it's in, it has powers in it. And so every day um, during the Catholic Mass, people go and touch the statue or take pieces of clothes and, and touch the statue because they think it might help physically heal them. And so they were telling uh, us about this, and then they also talked about um, every Easter on Holy Week, uh, there is this big parade that happens in Manila, and they they take out that statue, and they they put it uh, on a float or something, and they parade it through the streets. And there is this um, local belief that uh, during that week— Uh, The statue uh, has even more powers at that time. It's like more potent during Holy Week on Easter. And they say so much, so, so many people know about it, that almost every single year, a person or two gets trampled to death by people trying to touch the statue. And so we should ask ourselves the question, like, what is her faith in? Is her faith in the gift she might receive or in the giver of the gift? Because the object of our faith should be the person of Jesus Christ, not what we might get from him. And that, I think, is the difference between maybe um, receiving some temporary relief from a physical ailment and getting true healing deep down in your soul. Because we can read story after story and account after account of faithful men and women who followed Jesus and maybe didn't receive physical healing but had peace in their soul and in their life because they received true healing because the object of their faith was Jesus and not necessarily just what he could do for you. And so when um, this story unfolds and Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I just have the feeling that there's a lot more weight to that statement, that it wasn't just that her bleeding disorder got rectified, but I think she had peace in her soul because the object of her faith was the person of Jesus. And it was through that faith and who Jesus was that she experienced the work of Jesus in her life. And so the last thing I want to point out is just the power of a received identity. So the last verse we read, I love what Jesus does. You know, he stops everything he's doing. He wants to know who touched him, who touched him. Because it probably would have been so easy for her just to, you know, graze the back of his clothes, realize something had happened, and been good with it. But I think Jesus takes it a step farther. So he wants to know who it was. Says she had some fear, but she knew he was talking about her because she knew already in her body that something had transpired. And so finally she admits it like, hey, it was me. I'm the one who touched you. You just healed me. And I love how personal Jesus makes it. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. As we go through life, we are going to be tempted for our primary identity to be with our greatest struggle. So whatever has taken place in your life um, that has not been the way it should be, any, um, any aspect of your story um, that deals with brokenness or hurt, it's going to be really tempting for that to be the primary lens through which you view yourself. And and, and even if maybe you haven't had some extreme circumstance or or something that's been incredibly wounding to you, uh, another thing that's just promoted to us at this point is for us to be very introspective and just look inside and ask ourselves how we feel. And then that becomes our primary identity. And both of those are going to be very limiting. And I would say, in fact, can be damaging to you if your desire is to meet and encounter Jesus. And so I love what's happening right here because I'm sure that lady had a lot of identities in her life. You know, one is an invalid, one is sick, one is unclean. You know, we don't know her her family history. We don't know if they um, cast her out completely. We don't know if she uh, viewed herself in close relationship to her family. But one of the things we do know is that in this moment, she gets to receive a new identity from Jesus. And it's not one of unclean. It's not one of invalid. It's not one of sick. It's not one of dirty. Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, and so that's the thing that uh, the, the Bible impacts a lot about identity because so often we uh, attribute our, our own identities to what we can not achieve or what has been done to us. But when it comes to Jesus, we don't have to do anything. We just have to receive what he has said about us. And there's something so powerful in that. And so I love how Romans 8 talks about this in verse 15 through 17. It says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry father, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him and so i love how this story unfolds that we see this woman who has suffered much but then she encounters jesus and she places his, her faith in the person of jesus christ and he turns and looks at her and says daughter your faith has made you well And so I would just ask you to consider right now in your life, if there is something uh, that has occurred in your life or some mindset you have or some thoughts you battle that might intrude on the identity Jesus offers you in Jesus Christ as his child. If there is something else that comes before you when you view yourself, when you um, think about what's going on in your life, if there is... Any other indicators that you put before child of God, just know that your heavenly father wants to offer you this new and better identity that is not something you can achieve. It's something he extends. So we just need to receive that identity in our life and let that have a transformative effect because our identity is going to drive our behavior. And so if we see ourselves as sick, if we see ourselves as dirty or unclean, we are going to respond in kind. But if we see ourselves as a child, Child of the king, we are going to come boldly into the presence of God because he has qualified us to share in his inheritance, and he calls us heirs with Christ because of the identity he has put on us. And so we don't know what happened to this lady after this day, but I'm just going to go ahead and uh, assume that from this day forward, she had a story to tell. She had something to testify to. And I, uh, I'm just going to doubt that every situation in her life was fixed. So I, I don't think she received money after this. So that financial situation from pouring out to the doctors, probably not fixed. Um, you know, don't know what that family situation was like. You know, since she was estranged, I don't know if that fixed everything. And she uh, no longer had resentment over those 12 years of being seen as unclean. But what I do know is more than likely any person she got to know from that point on probably heard about the 12 years of her life when she was sick and then the encounter with Jesus that made her well. And they probably heard about how she was broken and then healed. And they probably heard about how at one point she was cast out, but then she was considered a daughter. And so I'll just ask you, people of God, if Jesus has been good to you, say Amen. And I would ask you to consider for yourself if you have encountered Jesus. If you have had a moment in your life that maybe didn't rectify every situation, but when you encountered Jesus, everything changed for you inside. If you have a moment in your life where you can look to and realize Jesus was doing his work in your life, and so you made that transition from being an outsider to being a child of God, I would ask you to consider these things because um, I just want you to have the ability to testify to the good things God has done. Like, I can, I can tell you the good things God has done in my life, but I want so much for you to have that opportunity as well to look at your life and think about um, what you've experienced and encountered and to be able to take that from this moment and go into to testify and to tell others what God has done because that's what we're about as a church, We are here to discover life in the power of God's grace and share his life-changing grace with others. And so we're gonna worship. We are gonna sing songs about how good and faithful Jesus has been to us. And just wherever you are, and like I said, I'm just praying that God's going to meet you, that whatever's in your past or whatever's affecting your future, that you would come and just extend it to Jesus. as we sing, reflect on that, you know, before we close the service, you know, myself, Pastor Charlie, some of our elders are going to be up front, and if there is any doubt in your mind on if you've encountered Jesus, if you have um, been transformed, brought from death to life spiritually, as God's word says, I would just invite you to come talk to us. If you have anything going on in your life, a, a physical ailment, a, um, an emotional trial, whatever it might be, we would love to pray for you. And so I would just ask you to f- reflect on those things, Over these next couple minutes, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. But don't let this moment go by. You know, if God has said something or revealed something or prodded at something in your heart today, I'll just encourage you it's so easy to just kind of outweigh the moment and make your way out that door as fast as you can. But don't. Desire more for your life than the hurts you've experienced, than the pain you've gone through, than the insecurities you might live in. There can be more take a step of faith, and come towards Jesus. Would you pray with me?